Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the Power Court Hour podcast. Hope you're doing well out there. As always, I'm your host, Anthony Merchant. And before we get into my interview with Travis Shettle of Piebald, and let me tell you, it is a good one. I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Disctopia, which is something you should definitely go check out if you yourself are a podcaster or a musician or really just kind of a creative. Definitely go check out Disctopia. They are a streaming-first platform where creatives can easily upload, manage, and distribute their content like music and podcasts all in one place. It makes it very easy which when you're doing the behind the scenes stuff, I can uh, tell you firsthand, you want to make it as easy and like all in one place as can be, you know, get the content out there, get it everywhere, but do it, do it in the easiest manner. And uh, that's what Dystopia is here for, for you. And Dystopia offers extensive distribution all over the web, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Pandora, and many, many more. And on top of that, you get unlimited storage and uploads, unique listener reports, web player analytics, email support, and so much more. So for the best podcast hosting, check out dystopia.com. All right, that is that. It is time to get into it with Travis Shettle of Piebald, a band I love very, very much. We're talking their classic record, We're the Only Friends We Have, which just turned 20 on a Saturday, on a February 19th. And uh, yeah, we're going to get all into it. This was a really fun one. So here's my interview with Travis Shettle of Piebald right here on the Power Chord Hour. There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the July. Right, right now on the Power Chord Hour, I'm very stoked to be joined by Travis Shettle of Piebald and the band's record, We're the Only Friends We Have, which was released back in February 19th of 2002, is turning 20, which if you're listening to the radio show Friday night, uh, about like four hours from now, it will turn 20. And uh, if you're listening to the podcast on Monday, hey, it's 20. But uh, we're going to talk about the writing, the recording, the touring off that album, all that good stuff. And uh, we'll be talking with it with the man who was there for it all. So, uh, Travis, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I've been uh, I've been excited. I love this record. I uh, I am very excited to uh, talk about it with you and just kind of get into all of that. But before we get into that, I want to like jump back a little further. <laughs> and uh, before we get into the record, like was Piebald your very first band? I mean, I know you guys were young, but I mean, prior to Piebald, were you in any like high school bands or doing anything before this? Uh, yeah, there was one, but it was also with Aaron, and it was called Dork Knob. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so Aaron was in it also, uh, but that was the only previous musical excursion. I remember we covered the Pixies and <laughs> wrote a few other songs. We made a demo. Sick. I mean, what um, would you describe the sound as? It was alternative mixed with um a little bit of primus vibes <laughs> i mean does this exist online i've never heard this but no me i don't think so yeah <laughs> no i think we did a four song uh two track demo i remember we like hung the microphones in the room i don't know we, we didn't know what we were doing <laughs> nice so, was ha- but, so you had half a pie balled in there then yeah that's true nice. um and that that was the beginning of it i suppose but uh yeah then aaron and i started playing with john and uh Andrew Bonner, because we knew his sister. John went to Andover High like we did. So did Andy's sister. 
Um, we met Andy through Andy's sister, Leah. And then that is the beginning of the first incarnation of Piebald. With Piebald, like how soon after forming did you guys start writing songs? I mean, since like once again, you kind of had half the band in the in the previous band. Like were you, you just kind of right out the gate writing songs? Yeah, I think so. I, I, honestly, it's now so long ago. I don't remember, but I would imagine that I did much of what I what normally happens or even what Aaron does you know like you bring you bring a couple parts that you think go together and you you know maybe there was you know a couple sets of those and so we started just banging things out in John's basement and um yeah I don't know I I don't remember like a complete song that came first you know I, I I don't remember exactly what that was but I'm sure there were songs pretty much out of the gate that's why you would even really practice unless you're, you know, Good trying point. to really to get something tighter over and over again. But um, I don't remember again exactly how it <laughs> happened or how the, you know, um, writing of songs went at the beginning of the, the band. But I'm sure there was like a few things just kicking around and then we just started making them and then you'd go home and be excited because you had a good practice and start jamming on your own and be like, Ooh, I like this riff. I'm going to bring that to practice next time. And then it just kind of happens. You just morph it from there. Like, yeah. Like, is there, cause it's kind of interesting. I mean, you have, you know, pipe ball has been around so long and I mean, I'm sure at some point there's a turning point of being a, you know, a, you know, just a band that you're in as a teenager to it becoming more than a hobby. Like, was there, was there a turning point or is that just a progression? Like, was there a time where you feel like you're like, we're going to take this more serious and do it more? Or is that just one of those things where you just kind of keep doing it and just things happen because you've just been sticking with it so long? I think it's a little bit of both. I think you're doing, you're sort of just doing things naturally. And if it grows naturally and piebald sort of did, it had a natural progression. We made an album, we went on a tour or two and, and you would, be like oh wow that was that was fun people liked it and then you put out another album go on a tour or two and and think wow this was better than last time and then we did it again and it would happen again and it sort of just kind of seemed like it naturally grew however there was a time where you know we all were only doing the band and i feel like that's the moment when you know well, this isn't even a hobby. This is actually, this is all we do. We quit our jobs. This is what we're doing. And that didn't last very long, but a couple of years just doing that, that's when you know, even if you're not making very much money, you don't have another job. That's what you do. That's what we did. You know, we were just on tour so often that, that, that is, that that's where we got to there. But, you know, like I said, it didn't last forever. It's, clearly not our full-time job for any of us now um but there was a brief moment of that and that's maybe not when it was like oh i'm taking this seriously because we always took it seriously but it's when you realize oh i sort of maybe didn't make it but like this is all i do i i am i'm truly a musician right now like i said didn't last forever but uh there was a period where that that was it. That's all we were doing. We we treated to like, you know, uh, writing music like it was a job. We'd go to the space and, you know, four or five times a week for five hours, which isn't quite a job. But, you know, uh, <laughs> still we invested a lot of time into trying to 
write songs, get better, come up with stuff, uh, play together. I don't know the whole thing, but there, I think both of the things that you talked about sort of the moment and a, uh, organic growth, they both happen. Was there like an album that, 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 album or oh, yeah friends like, of course okay so that's like where you start going like you were saying it's like oh yeah like well, i guess it's just what we're doing yeah i mean we recorded that album and the day we were finished we left for a tour and oh, that that was october i believe of 2001 um we left for tour in you know the fall and i remember basically coming back for thanksgiving and christmas and then we had a little bit of time off, and then the album came out, and we were on tour. We were just on tour. Jeez. So 2002 into 2003 was just – that's what we did. We were on tour. Nice. The, <clears throat> the scene you guys came up in, I mean, and going back a little a little again, but, like, before you started touring and, like, the local scene in uh, Massachusetts, and I guess really – I guess it would have been, like, the hardcore scene you came up in. Like, what was, yep. what was that like starting out? It's like, awesome. Were, were there a lot of bands? Were there a lot of venues? Was it very just easy to be in, like, a hardcore band and stuff at that time? Uh, yes. I would say absolutely yes. Uh, venues, I, I don't even know that I give them that qualification they were more like <laughs> vfw halls and there's a place called the red barn in north andover i hardly a venue uh more like a place where some older person allowed this to happen <clears throat> um but it was a beautiful thing the merrimack valley in massachusetts which is uh north eastern massachusetts uh there's just some beautiful stuff going on there we uh, you know, Kurt Blue of Converge uh, and Jake both went to Andover High. Kurt was and still is extremely prolific as a songwriter, but I remember him at that time in high school. He was a ye two years older than I was. He uh, would like have be writing so much music at that age. He was like, I, I have a side project idea. Who wants, you know, anybody want to play bass here? <laughs> You know, and be like, yeah, of course. I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah, let me in, coach. You know, and you kind of learn from that, uh, uh, and it was inspiring because you're like, this guy, man, he's writing songs. He's really good at playing guitar. He's trying to build a studio in his parents' garage. Oh wow! Uh, like there's just, you know, he's a couple years older than me. Kind of took us under his wing. There's just something magical about that. That absolutely, you know, I think inspired me, Andy, uh, John and Aaron, the first four, uh, the first four incarnation of Pieball. But yeah, Kurt and Jake and, and the Caven dudes in Methuen, uh, we played their first show. I mean, that was, there was just a community and those are to me like the, the, the three that are maybe the most Pieball convergent Caven that you really think of from that time period. But there were a lot of, other bands a lot of a lot of other music there was a wonderful scene in boston it was very inclusive and shows were unique and you'd play with you know a really quirky weird math rock band and a, a, a straight up you know meat and potatoes hardcore band and like uh and it would be piebald and be like i don't know what this is but this is very really interesting i'm into it that's rad that's great to it was a, it was like a beautiful that. time it, yeah it, it was good it was nice and i i I know it's partially about my age at the time <clears throat> because, you know, you, I'm never going to experience something the way I did when I was 
16 or 17 and now I'm 44. I, I'm just not going to have the same new visceral experience, right? Yeah. But how? But however, that was, it does, looking back on it, it seems still really special. Like a lot of things grew out of that that were kind of magical. And, and, and the music that came out of that time and came a few years later from all those bands it just is it's really nice there's a nice heritage that we are part of in the massachusetts rock and roll slash punk rock hardcore community and it's cool that's really I'm proud weird. of it no it's cool and i mean i love like it sounds like you had a very like was the scene pretty like not not just a scene but i guess i should say bands like by the sounds of it everyone was supportive and cool with each other it didn't sound like it's so much a competition as much as everyone like like, would you say that? Like, was it more kind of like, you know what I mean? Like, everyone was cool with each other. It wasn't really us against another band. Yeah, I definitely feel that way. It was very much that. It was very much an appreciation of the other, you know, the other bands that were also on the bill or from the same, you know, from Boston. And, and there I know, something was unique that was going on then. You know, and there's still, there were absolutely still scenes, but I feel as though the hardcore community had at that time i don't know a really unique stage in the american music scene where it was welcoming everything that didn't fit the norm right it's like and also was a scene of acceptance which i really appreciated it was doing things that are very leftist at that time that now we look at and think that was kind of ahead of the curve you know, being accepting of um, LGBTQ style things, being vegetarian, um, speaking out against uh, sexual assault and things of that nature. Like the scene cultivated better behavior than a lot of the outside world. And I appreciate that as well. Well, you're right, too, because, like, what would that be? Like, we're talking, like, mid-90s, late-90s here? Yep, mid-90s. Yeah, so, I mean, going yeah. going back that far, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, 20-something years ago, you're kind of ahead of the curve with uh, some of that stuff. But uh, Yeah, I, I I think so. Outside yeah. of outside of your scene, like, were there any other, like, back, back then, like, were there any other, like, cool scenes going on, like, in the New England region, like, surprisingly? Like, would you, would you find them, like, I don't know, say, like, Vermont or Maine or something? Is there, like, some kind of kind of pockets of of like music scenes around there maybe people wouldn't know about you know i am really i'm trying to think let me let me see if like i can draw up some specific memories because i'm trying to think like okay the mid mid 90s late 90s where else i mean okay here here's one and it's only because i know about it and now i'm starting to have a theory that the only reason you'd know about it is you have to have somebody in that area or that place at that time, because this wasn't a time of internet This was, or even a cell phone. This was a time where you had to have, okay, so here's my example. Andy's sister, uh, Leah went to Poughkeepsie, New York to go to college. There's a, a women's college there. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but they kind of developed, there was like a little scene there and bands would go through there and, there isn't a band I can think of, but we played a show there, or maybe even two, a couple of basement shows, and you'd, you'd have other bands that are like, I don't know, they came from Albany or Canada, or and things like that happened where you just get these, you'd find out about other little nooks and crannies. New England was awesome. You could be in different states and 
you know, hours, less, less than hours in, in minutes really. But, uh, there were a lot of, I think, little scenes probably popping up, and I know I can't put my finger on them or, or specifically name them for you, but I have a feeling what was happening in the Merrimack Valley of Massachusetts was happening elsewhere in the early, mid, late 90s. You have a very solid point, too, about the about the era and the you know lack of you know, before really a lot of social media, not a, you know, cell phones and all that stuff, you probably did have to know about it. That's why I think that like air is pretty interesting too. Cause it's like, now you can go like, for me, I I've learned about old scenes and stuff that like, you know, places I'm not from, from years ago before I would ever know about it. And if it was 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't know about it. You know, things now we have the internet and stuff. You can find that all, but like, yeah, back then you wonder that, including in that area where you're at. Like even, I mean, yeah, Boston, Boston's big, but like Massachusetts, and you talking about that great scene. Like people may not think of Massachusetts. Well, they may now, but like, you know, there, there's those little pockets where it's not New York, or it's not like a, it's not maybe the main place you'd think for music, and you find those little, uh, you find those little pockets places. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what else too? It's not just places. It's pocket places and times. Like yes. there's, there's like, you know, um, like with us, you know, we have this kind of mid to late nineties birth, um, in, you know, that new England zone, but other people had their little zones at different times where, you know, there's a place and a time, like a little bit of an era as well as the place. Good. Yeah. That is a, that is a good point. I, uh, I not long ago, had uh, someone on talking about the New Jersey pop punk and ska scene, but of specifically like late nineties, early two thousands, you know, like kind of like you're saying, like it's an, it's an era. It's not just like forever. It's like, we're talking very specifically yeah. like bands, yeah. venues, scenes. And I think we can all look back and really see that now where while we're in it, you know, in the late nineties, mid and early two thousands, you don't see it as much like that, but I look back on it now and I can, I can see that. <laughs> well, I, I have one more for you before uh, we get we get into the album, but like kind of what you're bringing up with that, and it's what I was talking about uh, last time with with the New Jersey scene, and them talking about just how great it was and everything. When you started getting out of your own scene, were you ever like? Because it sounds like you had such a such a strong and great scene where you were at. Did you ever go other places that didn't have such a great scene and were like almost taken by it or surprised, like? Oh wait, you guys don't have a bunch of bands to play with, or there's not a big turnout, or there's not like play, you know VFW halls and stuff. Like, were you ever taken by that when you finally did get out of like the Massachusetts area or the New England area? Yes, absolutely. There were moments, um, in and I think for us it was is mostly in the South. You know, there'd be times in Texas or Alabama or um, even Florida. Although Florida became kind of like a lot like a really good place for us later but uh there would be yeah just places that you felt like didn't have quite the same community or we weren't the band that was maybe going to draw out everybody in that community you know like uh i am sure at that time like this this late 90s era if who's who who uh jets to brazil Okay, to me, they're like, at that era, they're like a big band in this realm of music to me, right? Mm -hmm. They would draw out a lot more people 
in say Albuquerque, New Mexico, than Piebald would at that time. And I think it just, uh, what am I trying to say here? Like, I think everybody's seen, we may have judged it differently than someone else did because everybody's going to draw out a slightly different mm, percentage and, and, and uniqueness of this larger scene. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I mean, if you don't fit it, if the if that scene has like one really defined sound or specific thing that they're really into, if you don't sound like that, that may be an issue. Okay, so here's a perfect example. Or I, I maybe, <laughs> maybe it's not. <laughs> but I now live in New Orleans. Piebald has historically had not great shows here. It's just Okay, since I've lived here, we played one show here. It was awesome. Now, that's probably partially because I live here. Also, I don't know. It's a different time, whatever. But, uh, oh, shoot, where am I going with this? I thought I really had an example. <laughs> I thought I was really onto something. Um, but historically, for us, it's been a place where I thought of, like, didn't really have that much of a scene, I guess, is where I'm going with this. But, but someone else this is where i was going someone else <laughs> this might be like a hotbed for them like they love playing here and it's for some reason it's huge yeah. and we're part of the same scene so that i think that can that can happen where you just have a different history some bands probably have different histories with different cities just i don't know just because of how it evolved for them no, I know in you're, different places. I totally get what you're saying in there. I actually, <laughs> I, I've had a, I had a similar discussion with someone who was on recently who we went to the same college. And when I went there, I couldn't really find a music scene. There was like one little dive bar that would have like some punk shows and stuff here and there. But I was talking to her because she was there a few years before me. And I'm like, is it like, am I the one? Like, was I just blind to something? But, I mean, we ended up figuring out, no, I don't think there was much of a scene there. But, like, I get what you're saying because I sometimes will get that where I'm like, am I missing something? You know, like. Yes. Exactly. Yes. It, like, you're just time and place. And you're right. You it, Like, maybe it, a different kind of style might do well somewhere like New Orleans where, like, you know, just piebald doesn't. But if you sounded different, you may it may had a totally different history there. You know, and, and let's be honest, I'm sure there are bands that are like, oh, I hate playing Boston, right? Oh, they yeah. just, they have a crummy history there. So, but that is not the case for Piebald. So, like, I can see how you might think a certain place doesn't have much of a scene if you roll through and it's just not hitting for you. Yeah. But I have a feeling every city has their little punk rock community. And they're just going to go to what they want to go to. I always hope for that. I mean, that was kind of like in my in my question about and, and, uh, about the New England thing. Because it's like I always like to imagine that there's always somewhere there's like, you know, there's it just teenagers putting on if it's house shows somewhere. Like you may not know about it, but I always like to just imagine no matter where you're at, college mm -hmm. town, like small town or something, it's going on. Whether you know about it or not, you kind of hope yep. that it goes on somewhere. Yeah. You know? And I bet it is. Yes. We just probably don't know about it. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I truly think, you know, if I want to find some weird house show or skate park show here tonight or this week, let's give it a week. We give it seven <laughs> days. I'm in New Orleans. I will find one. Oh, I you would know? say absolutely. 
Yes. I could probably find more than one. Um, <laughs> that being said, I'm not going to. <laughs> you're, not gonna and, spend, you're not spending all week looking for house shows is what you're saying? No, but I could. I could if that was my bag. Right I could now. if I wanted to. <laughs> yes, I could if I wanted to. But that's a, that also is reassuring to me. There because is if freedom. I wanted to find a house show, I know I could find some sort of punk rock house show to go to this weekend. I know it in New Orleans. And I, I know feel it. like it'd be cool. So that is right. Yeah, I bet you're right. But that also is reassuring to me just knowing that that is still happening <laughs> yeah, in a... cities all across America. Yeah. You know? Oh, no, I'm so, stoked. Like, I feel this same. I'm so with you. I'm like, listen, even if I'm not a part of it, that's okay. I just, in my head, I want to know that if whether or not you're at that show, you're at that house show, I just want to know that house show's going on. Yes, that's it. That's all. I agree with you. I fully agree. You're so, that's right. You're correct. Good work. <laughs> all right. So, so moving on, let's get in. Let's get into what we're here for. Uh, we're the only friends we have turning 20. Now, obviously, this isn't your first release on Big Wheel Recreation. But you put a, you put a few things out on that. So I mean, where does that relationship start with the band and uh, Big Wheel? How did that all kind of come about? Well, I'm not even quite sure how it exactly started, but I feel like Rama was just a a Boston guy who was in the hardcore community, and he was running this <clears throat> Big Wheel label, and it had sort of mostly. You know, it had In My Eyes, and, like, I think they put out a fast break record. Definitely they put out a fast break record. Um, and it was kind of that style of hardcore, but he was kind of widening the scope. And uh, Damn Personals were on there, Cancer Conspiracy, uh, Piebald at that time. He had the band called Lazy Kane. Uh, let's see, he did, like, a, that Jimmy World, uh, Jay June split. There was like some really cool things in the late 90s Rama was doing. And yeah, he, let's see, what was the first record we did with him? The record that we released on Hydrahead originally, uh, When Life Hands You Lemons. We put that on something with Rama called Barely Legal All Ages. And it had that and like a bunch of demos and live songs and, uh, and the Sometimes Friends Fight EP and the other seven inch we put out on Hydrahead. So that had a compilation of things. But again, I, I, Anthony, I couldn't tell you our like precise first meeting of Rama. I really, I don't, I don't remember that story. <laughs> it just happened sometime. Remember. Yep. And then we put out quite a few records with him. Yeah. I mean, you had a One. good relationship by the sounds. I mean, there's a lot of releases on there. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was fantastic for a while. felt like it was like, family and like home you know and then it just sort of crumbled but that that stuff happens after so i mean obviously before uh before we were the only friends we have you know the uh, record before that venetian blinds um was there how long after releasing that record was the thought about putting out another i know there's a few i think there's like one or two right like an ep or so in between that one and we we're the only friends we have but like how soon after you thinking about a full length? Like how? Like okay, time time for the next one. Um, I don't know. It's I feel as though it's more about not time length. Although then it was seems like you had to do things a little faster. Uh, I think it was more about like thinking you have enough songs 
for whatever you were gonna you know like whatever recording session if you were making well i guess an album it usually takes a couple months to write an album maybe more depends how picky you are at that time we weren't nearly as picky um but i would assume the minute we release something uh i was probably like all right let's get going on something else right let's get started so i i would imagine that pretty soon after we were already writing songs do you remember like you you yeah we were probably already thinking like all right let's let's I got three ideas. Let's go. Let's go bash them out and start thinking about the next thing. Yeah. Do you uh, do you happen to remember at all the first song written for "We're the Only Friends We Have"? Do you remember that at all? Um, let me think. I I'm gonna say well, the stalker came from my solo record, so that was definitely one of them. And I also think, and this is sounds kind of weird to me now, but I want to say that. Uh, monkey versus the robot was in the beginning and also we'd already had american hearts that's right so there were already american hearts had already been released we just made it better i think (laughs) we found the pocket and the groove and the it just sounds much better on friends um uh yeah and then the stalker like i said was on the my solo record and then i i really feel as though Monkey vs. the Robot was one of the first first songs. Um, but yeah, I kind of... They, they really only take shape as albums being released. But like when I really think about songwriting, I do remember a lot of times where I would have songs just come in threes and... You know, you at that age, you're really just trying to make an album, and an album is what nine to twelve songs, depending on who you are and how long they are, and how fulfilling the album feels as a unit of tunes, right? Yeah. But like uh, now, if you ask me now, how many songs I need to make an album, I'm going to tell you like twenty because you're going to get rid of eight of them. You know? Yeah, yeah. But I didn't think that way then. It was like. Do we have five songs? Oh, sick. Let's put three on a seven inch and two on these comps. Okay, now we have uh, 12 songs. We're putting 11 on the album and one goes somewhere else on this comp. You know, like they're, they're, it's uh, now I feel like I would be super overly particular, overly calculated and would be like, well, we need at least 25 songs before we whittle it down to the best 11. You know, you know what's funny about that. To be completely honest, like I and I've been on a big piebald kick, like getting ready for this and everything. I forgot how many like collect. Like I feel like I have a bunch of collection CDs from you guys, which like like you're saying, like I feel like like there's obviously the full lengths, but I feel like there was including a specific time where there's tons of like different just EPs or like odd song here and there and stuff that you that you were doing. It does sound like at one point you were just recording almost any song you guys wrote then um yes i feel as though there was a definite moment of extra prolificness it didn't last (laughs) but there was a really exciting where where again i think that that started in the time when we were just playing music so it, it like it just grew from being 
knowing being part knowing that was all we were doing being fully in, immersed in it and thinking well hey we're mostly on the road we go we you go on tour six weeks you come back for a week you go on tour again for three weeks you come back for a week you go to europe on tour you come back for five days you go do a u.s tour again and so you're trying to like and andy and i lived in the same room at the time of friends in somerville mass and i mean we'd get home and just go back we'd go upstairs into the same room <laughs> so like you, you <laughs> easy know, to we write music just, we were just that's all we did kind of you know or not all we did but that was the major thing we were focusing on in life at that time. That makes so sense. So we could give it a lot of energy, you know? That was probably the era then, yeah, that you, you feel like that's when you, like, wrote throughout your life. That's, like, probably there. You wrote, like, the most songs. Yes. They might not have been the best songs I ever wrote, but I wrote the most You wrote songs a lot of them. There's some good stuff I, in there. I will say this, too. Uh, the coronavirus, when we shut down and you know, bartending was over and no, nobody was playing shows. But I wrote a lot of songs in that time too. So that was a nice break for me, even though it was a terrifying time for the world. <laughs> but you wrote a lot of songs. Yep. Right. A lot. <laughs> a lot. I want to, so I want to ask too, with, uh, you know, in between, I feel like, uh, you know, with, with friends and, uh, Venetian blinds, I mean, there's, there's kind of, and again, you got, you got like that EP and stuff in between, but I do feel like there's a there's a decent like kind of change in sound in between those two. Like, is that just natural progression? Or when you were going into We're the Only Friends We Have, was there kind of like we kind of wanna you know we kind of want the sound to shift this way or do it this way? Or is that just kind of naturally how you go from one record to the next? I, I mean, I feel as though what happened with Friends was for us this magical thing because before that we'd always had to rush recordings we're trying to record i don't know a bunch of songs in just a couple days uh with or you know like um venetian blinds was probably an initial like four days and then we just went there when we could to finish it up with friends not only were we working with paul coldry who did epic things before before he even touched piebald at all like the pixies and uh radiohead uh and then we also had a month in the studio which we'd never had before and i don't think we've had it since <laughs> <laughs> but like it, we really could focus and we had somebody who was making things just sound so good and we didn't really before that were i feel like that was what really got us into like studio mode too where you're like oh my gosh you can just overdub a clean guitar during this part. You mean you don't have to like <laughs> use your volume pedal and turn it down and make sure you get to the right area. And I don't know. It really deepened our understanding of recording. Paul Coldry is uh, a historical Massachusetts, uh, you know, music person. And, uh, we had a month and we had written some really good songs. <laughs> So like, I think just things aligned. What and, uh, <clears throat> what studio did you guys record at? It was Q Division in uh, Cambridge. Uh, maybe it's in Somerville. It's probably in Somerville. Oh, so you guys recorded in Massachusetts then too? Oh yeah. Yep. Okay, nice. 
so you yeah, Paul's from Mass, or if he's not from Mass, he is to me uh, Massachusetts. He's certainly a resident. <laughs> you may not have been born there, but he's a mass hole, much like myself. <laughs> so, I mean, like on this record, it sounds like you enjoyed yourself, like in the studio and kind of getting to like take your take your time and and all that good stuff. Like, normally, are you are you like a person who likes to screw around in studio and tweak things? Or do you do you generally like to go and get it recorded and kind of get out? You know, kind of go in with the ideas already done and not really play around a whole lot. Go in and do your parts, know it, and be done. I feel as though if my life could just be me being able to get paid by being in the studio to like try to get like the awesomest, most fun tone and like I would love to do that. You're into However, that side of it. I do because when you hear the thing on the other end and you realize somebody spent so much time trying to, to make this and you hear the difference or you hear that it is unique or you hear that, I don't know, it, it has this uh, tangible immediacy, like that's a beautiful thing, right? And yeah. it's undeniable. And so to me that is created not just by – how good a song is, well, that really helps. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> and it's a good rhythm, But also, yeah. like, it sounds good. And, it, and it's like, sucks you in. And you, you hear things, and it there's a, I don't know, I don't, a lure to it. And, and, yeah, songs are fascinating because of that. I like I like that, and I think you're right, like, there is something about like you listen to a record and even just the littlest things. I'll go, oh my god! Like that record has the best snare tone, and it's like when like yes. you bring it up, it could take out like that took hours, if like days, yeah. to get that yeah. that tone you hear. Like just what he's hitting with his drumstick. That like, is, it's beautiful. That is true. <laughs> it is beautiful, and it's absolutely an art form. And if someone tries to tell me otherwise, they're wrong. No, you're That's absolutely fine right. With me for them to be wrong, but. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you saying that is that's exactly what I'm talking about. When you, you are, it did take days for that snare tone to to be figured out. It may have only taken hours with that drummer, but I bet you, no matter what, any hot tone that you hear that you're like, whoa, that sounds so interesting, so unique. It took hours to if not days to get that to happen, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, it's something you don't even, even I think I sometimes forget about, but like that, that's, I I'm with you. Like, I love that side of it. Cause it's like, wow. Like, you know I mean? A band, a band, obviously, like you said, do if you write a good song, that's helpful. If the, if the thing you're recording is actually a good song, but like, yeah, they're very helpful. <laughs> it'll help a lot, but like still going in there and making it like sonically sound good and kind of adding those little, those little bells and whistles and stuff like that just doesn't happen by hitting record. Like, yes. You got to go back and work on things. And you know? for us friends, I feel like was the first time we really got to do that. Before that, you rush. And when you rush, you're not really honing in all those little details. You don't have access to 10 snares that somebody can switch out and use differently. You don't have access to all these other amplifiers and, like, keys and tones and microphones and things. And, and we had that at that at Friends. And I, that was absolutely the change, you know. I mean, there, there were multiple factors, but they were all related to Q Division and Paul Coldry and having a month. 
Well, kind of going off of all of that, I wanted to ask you too, like what, what did your rig look like on this album? I mean, were you basically using kind of one guitar for the whole thing? Do you have like one that you used for a dollar? Did you mix it up like amps and all that? Like what, what were you I, I remember us doing our pretty straightforward setup to record the basic tracks. I don't remember what drum set John had, but uh, I feel like Andy was playing through an Ampeg and a thing, and we both had JCM 800. So what we did was track the songs with those two main guitars, at, and then that was sort of like, okay, here's the basis of the whole thing, right? You got two guitars, a bass, and drums, and then we kept building it, and we would pull the main guitars out if they were too much, we would add more guitars if we needed them. Certainly, I did a lot of key and synthy things uh, that I had not really been able to explore before that. There was a lot of percussion on Friends. John played bongos, I remember. I've never seen that man play bongos. <laughs> and he played bongos at the beginning of Simple Plan. And it was like, we, we just had the time and capabilities and, and the tools there to like explore all sorts of stuff after we had laid down like okay you know here's our two jcm 800s with our you know shredding guitars the andy's basses there and then like the drums and now we add all these other things and like okay that chorus needs another guitar let's put another one on there and also it was just sounding so good because of paul at q division <clears throat> it wasn't it just it really was a magical time that I I wish I'd paid more attention. <laughs> because it was going on. Yeah, because now it's sort of lost to the ether. You know, I remember <laughs> bits and pieces, but looking back, that is clearly uh, like a, a a peak moment in in life for all of us piebald guys. You know, it really was. I mean, great, damn great record as a listener. I mean, great, uh, great output for what came out of going into the studio for a month like that. I mean, classic, uh, classic record in my opinion. But uh, thank you. I wanna, I wanna ask too, like with that. I mean, are there were you using any pedals at all, or is that all just kind of the dirty channel on your eight hundreds, or do you really play with effects pedals at all? No, uh, yeah, we both mess with effects pedals, but uh, that was yeah, definitely the. Just gain up on the GCM 800s. I feel like we both maybe had rats as well. That makes sense. That was like I something we that. were kind of kind of obsessed with at the time. And I feel like maybe that was the beginning tone where it was GCM 800 through a cab, um, and then rat pedal. And that was probably the, the the like standard tone throughout the record. And then you know, for example, uh, fear and loathing. That's a good one. You know those like beginning breaks i have a feeling when we tracked it in the studio at the beginning uh where it's the acoustic guitar it was probably an electric guitar with a click oh really and i was playing it knowing we're gonna do this with an acoustic or something different but we're playing it like we would play it live because that's how we would <laughs> play it right and then you we went back in and we're like let's overdub a guitar through the acoustic guitar through the whole thing and so we did that and then we we're like, "Ooh, this could use a piano. That would make it more like bring up this weird, this I don't know, almost honky tonk vibe underneath this piebald song at a piano." So it was like a 
but then also our JCM fuzzy guitars with the rats are still going through the whole thing. So you, I don't know. It was nice. We could just experiment with the sound, whatever sounded like it needed to go up. I don't know. Paul Coulter was, that was a magical thing. He really was. He I don't know how doing. else to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew, I, I remember it too. Um, he came to our practices and I had never experienced that before where the guy who's going to record your record came to your practices. <laughs> was that awkward? Was that weird at all? Uh, no, not. I, I guess it was because we wanted to be good, but I looking back on it, I'm like, that was awesome. Right. So he came, sat there, we played him 14 songs or whatever, and he would just have, you know, slight notes here and there. I think this song needs an intro. I think this, this, you should slow this down a little. Uh, why don't you, that intro part, let's put it after the, you know, and then he came back the next week and we did it again. And he'd be like, okay, that's really great. I like that. And he'd be like, the intro that I talked about on, I remember this one, uh, on Look, I Just Don't Like You, he said, the first week, he's like, I think you guys should add an intro to that before you start the vocals. So it doesn't just kick in in its vocals. And then the next week we played it with an intro and he was like, nope, I'm wrong. Take it back. <laughs> He's like, get rid of the intro. Just go kick, kick into it. And I was like, all right, cool. This is awesome that somebody who is Paul Coldry is telling me that the original way we formulated the song was right. It's <laughs> awesome. That's a good producer too that he can go, oh yeah, I was wrong about it. And not not like, you know, not have an ego of like, oh, like, okay, like, oh no, I was wrong. Like you got you guys had it right the first time. You were good. Yep. And, you know, a few things uh I think we did change because he had little edits for us. So I do think on the whole, his his involvement, just generally speaking, made that record better. You know, is there is there a song like that you can remember if you can remember like the demos off of there that like changed the most like the final song versus what the demo was like or your initial idea for it? Do you remember one that like changed most drastically on that record? Probably Sex Sells, but I also remember us having a like sort of heated struggle trying to find the right tempo for American Hearts. It was like Paul was looking for this perfect thing. We'd go like up three BPMs, down five. Like it was like we, it was very interesting how, cause we'd play each part at that time signature just to make sure they all felt that, the right way. That was, I'd never gone into that much depth on, uh, you know, the metronome part of the song ever before that <laughs> that song has a bounce so it makes sense like why it would kind of be like a pain in the ass to get like that like there's that bounciness to it that i do feel like you need you need that right tempo and it's also probably why like you said earlier i agree that version is uh i think better than the than the original and i think oh, part of it, that. it is it's better for multiple reasons <laughs> um but the tempo is a huge one of them like the the demo version i believe not demo but the uh the version from rock revolution is slower um and it just doesn't it didn't i don't know but i remember that was that was one of those things where we had the time to spend on it you know and explore it and he you know and put a metronome in john's head and be like all right american hearts let's go and then you know 
Nope, too fast. Let's go down a couple. Nope, too slow. Go up a couple. Mm, I'll play the middle part. Nope, that's not working. So we got to like, it was this fine tuning of tempo, and it was very interesting. Was there was there a song on the other side of that? Was there a song on the record that you just feel like whatever your original vision in your head, you know, like that original thought you have in your head versus what comes out can sometimes be different. Is there a song on here that you feel like you just, what was in your head, you just so accurately recreated on record? Like just like absolutely no compromise of, of what the, you know, of like that initial thought in your head was. No, I think everything exceeded my uh, oh, even nice. expectations. You know, like it, it was a, I'd be like, ooh, we should add this. And Paul would be like, yeah, no problem. Oh, uh, let's, okay, Stalker, for example. There's like synth parts. I did a solo for one of the first times really in a piebald song. And I remember being like, hey, in the little end part of the solo, can I do like a guitar mini where there's a second guitar that harmonizes with the first one? He's like, yeah, of course, we'll figure it out. And uh, you can go and do it. Whereas before the time wasn't there, the effort wasn't there, the, the you had to get, get it done faster. Um, nothing sounded like I really thought it would sound That's it, in, in such a better way. You know, the end result much better than what I anticipated. That's awesome. Sometimes it can go, sometimes it can go the other way. So, Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I want to, I want to kind of get into the touring on this record. Like you said earlier, I mean, you guys, you guys, by the sounds of it, were touring your asses off during this, but like, yes, were were these were these like headlining tours? Were you going out and supporting? Like what what was the touring looking like? And I mean, where were you just playing all over the country, or was there a specific place you were kind of pocket you were playing a lot of? We were playing all over the country. Sometimes Europe. Uh, they were headlining tours, but they were there were also uh, us opening for other bands. Um, hey Mercedes. Oh, nice. uh, uh, Glass Juliana Theory. Uh, Hot Rod circuit uh, i'm trying to think of what else happened in that year we definitely went to europe uh i'm not sure who else but i feel like saves the day small round bike that was in that time uh there are probably other things anyway that's a small list but uh yeah sometimes we were headlining uh sometimes we were opening for other bands was there a uh, was there a specific? I know I know early. I think he said Florida, but like, is there during that era? Was there like a part of the country or a specific city like that you feel like embraced the band the most? Like you had the best reception at shows. Um, I mean, that's just always going to, I guess, be Boston. I think. Um, let's see. We were some. We had a few pleasant surprises in like vegas where i wasn't anticipating an awesome show and then you'd be like whoa that was really good <laughs> i didn't know that was going to happen for us here um but i can't really nothing comes to mind that's like real specific that way you have any uh i, I guess kind of this may you may it may change but off we're the only friends we have i mean is there a specific song you think you have the most fun playing live um yeah i i think for me it's karate chops that one is just i don't know it's fun to play it's still interesting and quirky it has little twists and turns um it's energized it's got a sick bridge i don't know yes. i think it's just like it's 
it's a, it kind of summarizes the entire album. You get the album title. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, I don't know. Uh, that one is one of our to me better songs because it just it's got all the all the juicy bits. It does have like highballs, great like all your strong suits, all the things you guys do best. Like as you're describing that, they are, they are kind of all found in that song. Your best yeah, traits are in that song. That's yeah. If you really like smash all the all, everything piebald into one song, it's probably that one. <laughs> I agree with that. I, I, <laughs> I, I would agree with that. I can I can see that makes sense why that would be the uh, the fun one to play. Well, I think yeah. that might be my favorite song off the record. But uh, I wanna I wanna bring up you know you, you were talking about so much with the studio and getting to like add things and all that fun stuff and. Like this definitely is the first like piebald record. I feel like like maybe there's some I, maybe I could be wrong and there's some like maybe piano spread out here and there before. But I mean this is definitely the first time you really hear keys and piano in a on a piebald record. But I feel like on on this one it's a little more like layered in the mix and kind of yes. like like a lot of times it's pushed back further than it is on the next two records. You know what I mean? Like it's more front and center later on. Was that, I mean, it couldn't, it could just, man, I'm looking too much in and just, you know, that's how you kind of mix the record. But was there almost, and I, maybe hesitant's not the right, being hesitant of it's not the right word, but did you have to kind of slowly bring keys? Did you have to slowly introduce keys to Piebald? Like, could you not just jump right in it as much as you did on the next two? I mean, yeah, I guess I'm going to say yes. But also, you know, all the songs for Friends were written on guitar. You know, that was a guitar rock album. I didn't write any of those songs on keys. The keys just added little, like, accentuations. I didn't really know when we went into the studio that we were going to put a piano at the beginning of Long Nights. But it sounds awesome. It was an idea I had. I didn't really know it was going to come to fruition. You know, like, it was kind of like, well, maybe that would be a cool idea. I hope we get to try it. Right. Yeah. And then that's like the kind of is the thematic thing of the song is like that there's this piano part. But um, where am I going with this? Yes. Uh, the keys were all sort of like s- secondary in the friends part. And then with uh, All Ears, All Eyes, All the Time, the key- songs that are like key based were written on a piano. Oh, okay. That, I mean, that totally, that makes sense. So then all the other songs may have little piano accents, but they're definitely guitar songs, if that makes sense. No, no, it definitely does. So, I mean, it sounds like then after Friends was when you started, you started writing, like before that, you weren't really writing music on piano, or at least piebald nope. songs. That's true. Yep, that's 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 the, pretty much the like the whole idea there is like, the keys before uh, that, you know, before All Ears, All Eyes, All the Time were like sort of extra things that were really nice studio additions, but never a song was written on the keys. But then after that, they were. Was there uh, was there anything that kind of influenced you to start doing that? Or you just kind of like pick up? I mean, I guess on top of that, were you just kind of screwing around? I mean, because I know you played the keys on on Friends, but I mean, at that time, were you just kind of screwing around with piano more and you took it more seriously later on, or are you just always playing and that was just when you started introducing it to Piebald? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both because I took piano lessons when I was young. Um, but for 
everybody knew I kind of played keys and I, we put them in minimally earlier than that, right? Like I did a piano song in A minor on uh, One Life Fans You Lemons. Uh, and there is, I think, minimal key use on Venetian blinds. And I did a little bit on Rock Rev, but it's all more background, um, sort of like patty you know add a little background zing to the thing yeah. but uh but then it became more like oh i can write a song on this and so it became more prevalent or uh more of the main instrument in some piebald songs later do you uh still like current day do you still write a lot on the piano when you're writing music i definitely write more on guitar but every once in a while yeah I write on piano. Like during that, during like you said, you had that that kind of uh, big old COVID like creative explosion. Were you uh, were you playing much piano during that? Yep, I was definitely doing some piano stuff. I remember because I was part of that downright uh, oh, website nice. that Bob Nana uh, runs and other folks. But uh, yeah, I definitely got hired to write some songs. I'd be like, this seems like a piano jam, so I would some piano on it and or you know start writing it on piano and see what came out so yeah i definitely still do but definitely guitar is the the main instrument let me let me ask you for a second now now that you bring that up with uh with downright i I, because i think that's so neat to be able to just i mean to be able to write a song in that capacity I mean, is that is that something that you had to get used to, or like, or did you get used to? I guess you say, like, being, you know what I mean, like having a theme to write about and being so specific, and someone being like, "Hey, I wanted about this thing." Like, you know, w- was that weird at all? Like, was that hard to write that uh, way? Uh, yes, it, definitely difficult to write that way. Um, I think what's harder is that, like, when I write something that I like. I don't really want to give it up, you know? And, I can see that happening. So sometimes I, I'm kind of like, wait, but I like this. I don't want to, like, if I give it to this person, then I can't really use it anymore. Um, but what I really do with lyrics is, like, I kind of have them write it. You know, I'm like, tell me as much as you can, like, about what you, the things that you want in this song. Tell me what you don't want in the song. Tell me about the vibe of the song. What's the, like, do you want me to make you a piano jam? Are you looking for a guitar rocker or is this like a heartfelt acoustic song? So I kind of ask questions to pry out of the song purchaser, song client, uh, what what they're looking for. That makes sense. And on top of that, I really have them write the lyrics. <laughs> I'm like, tell, tell me everything. You know, what what are the most what what is the meat and potatoes of this thing you know and then i just put their words into the song that's interesting it takes a while but it, it it happens it has to be an exercise like i mean do you feel like it's done anything for your songwriting has it made you kind of like i don't know have you have you found either maybe you're writing different topics or like i i don't know like i would think i would think doing that and writing songs again in that kind of capacity and stuff may bleed into just your everyday songwriting somehow uh yeah i feel like what happens is for example like i was talking about earlier where um i'm like i really like this i want to like i don't want to give this away 
what I do is I'm like, okay, well, I wrote this riff that I like and this vocal line over it for this downright song. Now what I have to do is write something like that that I like even more <laughs> for Piebald, you know, or or for this other song. But, yeah, the goal is like, oh, if you like that, we'll make something else that's like maybe similar but not exactly the same that you either like more or like as much because there's always something that's like in the same vein as that or feels the same way or has the same vibe. Yeah. That makes sense. That make that definitely makes sense. I, I again, like I, I think that's so neat to even be able to do that. Like I, I feel like that's a talent in itself to be able to, you know, again, like I want this is how I want it. And then to write it, I feel like that's a, uh, Again, that that that's a something. You know, you can't. I don't think anyone can just do that. You can't just throw to someone, "Hey, write me a song about this." I mean, even even with all the all the all the uh, kind of you know asking them questions and stuff in the world, could still be a very difficult thing. So, props to you for uh, for doing yeah. that. It's very cool. But, Thank uh, you. Yeah, I got. I'm on hiatus right now. Oh, are you, school, I was going to ask I, if you were on because, like, if you wanted to plug that, but you're not. You're not doing it at the moment. Yep. Not right now, but I'm sure I'll get back into it sometime. Very nice, very nice. Well, I got I got a few more for you, and I wanted to bring up another Piebald album that uh, recently uh, celebrated its anniversary, and it's 15th, which is uh, Accidental Gentleman. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you, like, obviously not long after that, the uh, the band did break up. Like, when you were going in to record that album and stuff, did you have any clue of that, that that would be the last Piebald album, that, you know, everything would kind of unfold after that? Um, I sort of had the feeling that we were not, you know, heading in the, the best place for a band, you know? Mm-hmm. It just wasn't the best time for us. It, you know, everyone's life at that time, um, we we hadn't worked out the thing that we have now where we balanced um, our lives, our regular lives with the band life, which I feel like is what we got to now, which is a beautiful thing. I'm very happy we're here. But at that time, it's not where we were. It was... Uh, you know, uh, everybody had their heads other places, and it was not really um, as democratic and as beautiful as it once was, and it was very hard to get anything done. So it just felt like the natural end. It Clearly it's not, but for a while it was. That was the right move. It was getting too stressful. I felt like I was doing everything. And it, it, I was pulling people along. And I was like, this isn't fun. This isn't fun. You can't pull them along. Yeah. I don't want to pull people along. I want them to be there because they like it. But we'd also... We, we our shows weren't as, weren't as big. We were sort of like hitting a downslide. I don't know. It just... It, the, a lot of things aligned that had been going on for a little while that just culminated. They just all grew together and turned into something that said, it's time for this to end for a while. I just thought it was going to be over, honestly, but clearly, nope. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Th thankfully, thankfully wrong. But um, so, I mean, yeah, now I feel like then you, you guys, I mean, the way you do it from an outside perspective, 
I would say seems a lot less stressful. It seems like there's a lot more fun to it, doing doing things maybe more when you want to, not so much, hey, we need to put out a record every two years or kind of thing. I mean, it definitely at this point seems like you're doing it more for fun. Yes, I feel like we now have a new appreciation, I think, of even each other and the like the fact how how lucky we are that this can that we can play shows and and still do this pretty much every year since 2016 when we did it the first time again for in a while and like i i know all of us appreciate it we're really it's probably some of the most fun moments of our lives these days and like it's it's just such a such a joy to get to do it you know it's really nice it's wild you guys have been back since 2000 that, like that long now like I know it's been a few years but when you say 2016 yeah. that's almost or it is six years at this point that's I, I don't I, I I thought it was a few years and now I'm thinking about it, it's like hey you guys have been back a little while but, yeah the first reunion shows were 2016 wow. so yeah I mean yep it's it is wow is the right word <laughs> wow <laughs> You you a few years ago put out which I love and is now a staple uh, on every every holiday episode we do. But the band did put out that great Christmas EP a few years back here. What like the concept for that? How did how did that kind of all come about? I uh, like I was not expecting it when it came out, but I was damn happy when it did. Yes, well, uh, honestly, I'm gonna say that's all Luke Garrow, our our current drummer. Uh, he was like. Hey, we're getting we're getting together in September to try to you know um, write, write to get get ready for Christmas shows and blah, blah blah. What if we what if we try to literally have three Christmas songs that we're ready to record by the end of that weekend and we go out of the studio for a day? And I think it was two days. Um, I was like, yeah, it's probably possible. Really, we're gonna try and do this, and then it just sort of happened. We were able to actually make that happen and i think actually luke i don't know if he knew this in the back of his head or if he didn't if he just thought this would be a good thing for us but i feel like he realized that us writing christmas songs took the pressure off of us writing piebald songs that makes total sense and i think that that it helped us to just be like oh yeah this is fun we should definitely do this again and so i think it put the seed in our our minds to be like yeah we can write songs again and we're we we can do this like this this can happen and they don't have to be christmas songs <laughs> like, you know like so i i don't know if luke was thinking that but i definitely realized that somewhere along the line i was like this totally took the pressure off of them being piebald songs or like a new piebald record where i'm that is going to be pressurized to me you know i can't blame so, you Thank you. After uh, after that many years, I mean, just like, yeah, being away and not, you know, like we were just talking about, accidental gentleman, 15 years old. I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. I get why that would be a, a, a big, uh, ta- you know, something you really got to tackle and why why you would have to think about it and stuff a little bit. Yeah, it's got to – we have to really – I this is going to be, I think, difficult to do. I don't know what form – the new musical take. I don't know if it's going to be an EP or if we actually release an album. I really don't know. We have been writing songs, but like, I feel like we're going to all have to be happy with it. And how's that going to happen? So I think the worry is like, to me that we'll just never get there with Mm. something new. And that might happen. 
and that's okay. We had a good history. At least we keep playing shows. But I do hope we get to really release music that isn't a Christmas uh, EP <laughs> at some point in the future. I would, I would definitely be excited for that. Was this your first? Uh, had you ever like tried writing like holiday songs before this? Is this your like first foray into that? Definitely the first foray into that. Absolutely. I, I think you did a damn good job. I, like, I wouldn't mind if you guys release one every year, a little holiday EP. I thought, I thought you guys sounded like the, like seasoned veterans of holiday oh, thank music. You. <laughs> thank you. Well, hopefully it gets uh, everybody gets to enjoy that for years to come in the holiday season. So, I mean, you know, Piebald has been around now for over 25 years. You, you know, even, even if you weren't active the entire time, you still have been around for quite a long time. And really, I mean, you've kept the, basically the same lineup almost the whole time. Like, very it, – it's not one of those bands, and I'm sure you can't – you can even think of being around as long as you have, where I'm sure there's bands you came up with, which is now, like, maybe the singer and some, like, hired guns. Maybe it's, like, you know, one or two, like, people left. Like, whatever. Is there anything that you, like, can – like, and maybe there's not. It's just how it happens. But do you attribute or credit anything – to be able to keep a lineup together for as long as like Piebald has, is there is there anything you would credit that longevity for? Um, I think it's probably just knowing that we're all uh, connected. I, I don't know how to, to say this. Do you have friends that you have known since high school? Yeah, sure. Okay, so like. Have you been mad at them, even though you know you love them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. Have you wanted to punch them in the face, even though you also know you love them? <laughs> yeah. Have you done creative stuff with them over the years? Yes. Okay. So it's like it's like something that's almost – it's not family because we chose it. So it's better than family, but it can still piss you off like family, right? Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's almost like <laughs> – where friendship and family meets. And so they're almost like the, the pieball guys at this point are in This is every, all the drummers we've had three. Uh, and certainly Luke is, I'm assuming unless there's something I don't know, going to be in the band for the rest of time with pieball. This is the, this is how it goes. This is the pieball <laughs> you get from here on out. Um, well, yeah, there it's, uh, you can't choose your family. You choose your friends. In the end, you probably wish you didn't choose some of your bandmates. <laughs> hey But they're now your family and your friends, and you love them, and they've been a connected part of your history, and just like these guys have been with mine for, you know, and Aaron I have known for so long. So it's just – he's just – it's literally like – family member you know it's yeah. very interesting and it, it it's just something that i guess happens over time where you realize i might be mad at you i might not even talk to you for a year but i know i will talk to you again and i know that our paths will cross i know that we are friends i know that um you appreciate me and i appreciate you even if we haven't talked for a few weeks or a year that happens but our paths are inextricably uh, connected forever, you know, me and all those guys. And that's just the, that's just the way it is. It's beautiful. <laughs> so, yeah, it is beautiful. You're right. You're right. 
It really is. No, and that and it's it's great that you can keep because honestly, again, not everyone I think can like I think you have the right mindset. I don't know that that everybody does, and that's how I think bands don't get to like get back together like you guys and like have that like second act or be able to like do it again and stuff cuz if you don't have that mindset and you just become a bitter prick or whatever, maybe not, maybe not that, but whatever it is, you know, maybe maybe you can't put things aside and like, you know, that that connection or brotherhood or whatever you want to call it. Um, I will say this, you do have to be very understanding to be in a band. Like makes unless sense. you're just a prick. But like think about it you're with the, the same people all day long and even if you're with other people you're still with them and like in a van you know you you're gonna have times where you disagree or someone isn't carrying gear out the door or you're you've been on you this is day 32 of tour and you're just tired <laughs> and you know you're gonna do you're gonna behave weirdly and they're gonna see that or you're gonna be mean and they're going to have to deal with that or they're going to be mean and you have to deal with that. And it's something that eventually I feel like you understand more. You might not love it still, <laughs> but like you can, especially if you're trying to pay attention to these things, it's like, look, this person deals with this this way. And this, this other person that I travel with all the time deals with things this way. And uh, so okay where i'm going with this anthony is that <laughs> understanding and being understanding is crucial to doing this and i understand also why bands don't keep band members or they're they're touring now and it's just the singer and a bunch of hired guns or you know that i see that's so easy for that to happen that makes i can sense. get it clash of personalities like you're saying you're like this person does it this way this person does it that way the more members you have the more people you got to appease yeah and the longer it goes on the more some people don't deal with it well or like i certainly i have had i don't know weeks go by where i've really wanted to tear aaron a new asshole for something <laughs> but i didn't know how to do it you know and i and it just festered in me which is my problem not his and like but eventually it just comes to the surface. We get mad at each other and then realize, well, dude, I'm not getting rid of you. You're not getting rid of me where we have to figure this out. And you sort of mash your way through a conversation and realize, okay, yeah, I love you. We're okay. This is cool. We're going to get there. We will. I might still be mad at you later today, but we're going to get on stage. And we're going to have a good time, you know? Yeah. And, and that it's, it's, Honestly, it's like a love relationship because, man, we want to have fun. I want to have fun. I want to, when Pieball plays, I want it to be fun. I want it to be fun for the other people. And it takes the four of us on stage to be having a good time because, you know, when one person isn't, we all know that. <laughs> so it's like I want everybody to have a good time. And I hope that for the most part, we all also get along, which I know can't happen 100% of the time, but it can happen a lot of the time. <laughs> you guys are in it for the long haul. You're all you're yeah. all you're all with each other for the rest of the rest of piebald time. <laughs> I would imagine so. But uh you know, for speaking of piebald time, um in 2022 here, is there anything we should be looking out for 
from the band? You guys up to anything uh, coming up that we should uh, look out for? We're playing, let's see, we're playing the Fest in Florida in October. That's the end of October. We're playing, um, let's see, Newfound Glory has a festival in Worcester on June 4th, playing that. And then I don't think we would release any music this year, but hopefully we will have more time to work on it with ourselves. And then maybe, maybe next year or the year after that. I don't know. I, it's also, we got to start working on our re-releases because we need some vinyl re-releases of our old records. I'd agree with that. So there's a lot of things that we in the band have talked about, but don't quite know how to fully facilitate. Nice. We'll, we'll find some, once you guys do find out how we'll, we'll have things, we'll, we'll have things to enjoy. We'll yes, absolutely. We'll sometime it, in the future. Yes, yeah, sometime in the future, and there there will always be more shows. There will be more music, I would assume. I just, again, I don't know what form. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't quite know the the um, how we will unload it to the world, but it will happen at some point, and it won't be a Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be Christmas songs this time, I promise. You know what you It'll should be about real-life situations. You know what you really do? You come back with a full length, but it's a full length of Christmas songs. That's the real to, to really mess with people <laughs> or a double album. Just say bye balls back with a double album. <laughs> all, all Christmas songs. Just all Christmas. Songs. Maybe we get even more obscure with the holiday and still go double album. So it's like Easter, but double album. Like nobody needs that. How about, how about the world like never asked. How about you do like half Christmas songs and the other ones like Arbor Day, like something, something like Ooh, that. Like so whole... random. Flag yeah, just... Day. Piebald <laughs> celebrates Flag Day. Time Life presents. Yeah. <laughs> ten right. disc set. <laughs> yes, a ten disc collection. Yeah, gross. Oh my! Can't God. wait. I can't wait for this. As a as a fan, I I cannot wait for uh oh, for when man, I have that you Arbor on. Arbor Day collection by Piebald is sick. By Time Life, I cannot wait <laughs> to have you on to promote that. It's gonna be it's gonna be so fun when you're on here yeah. in two years promoting promoting the Arbor Day record. Wow, I can't wait. As seen on TV, I as hope that happens. I need that in my life. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent as seen on TV. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. If you yeah, got CODs for this thing, cash on delivery, man, we'll take it. This, this Let's whole do thing. that again. Let's bring that back. I'm calling the 800 number if I want this. <laughs> you can't even get it online. You have to call the 800 number if you want Pieball's <laughs> Arbor Day album. Yep, there's an 800 number, and then you you know, you know you do a COD, and somebody brings it to your door, and if you don't have cash, you don't get the product. And then you allow two to three weeks for delivery. Yeah, true, Obviously. of course. Yeah, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm excited for all of this. Uh, yeah, Arbor Day is going to be big this year. <laughs> 2022, baby. So we're all looking forward to. Yeah, <laughs> is outside of Piebald. Um, I mean, are you working on uh, anything else, music wise? Any any projects or anything? Uh, no, not really. I am hoping that in the next few weeks, and I say this loosely because I've been thinking about it for a long time, but our uh, tour manager, Dana, he has a podcast and it's called two weeks notice. And a long time ago, he's like, Hey, write me a jingle, but I want to really do that this next couple weeks. I really want to write him a sick little jingle for his podcast. And so I'm going to nice. work on that. You know but, what? Yep. 
nothing else other than that because I'm going to school and working. Oh, yeah, you're staying busy then. You're keeping pretty busy, yes. I, I would say. School and work is not that – that will eat up your time very, very yes. easy. You know, actually, you just brought up – you just made me think of a question I forgot to ask. But Dana, actually, because uh, we had a mutual friend and he saw I was interviewing you, he wanted me to ask if you've been practicing – I believe it was foosball. Have you been practicing your foosball, I think it was? Does that make no, any sense? I mean – yeah, kicker. You know, it's like the table soccer. No, I know what it is, but I couldn't remember if it was foosball. He asked me if you were practicing. I guess it was. Did he maybe say ping pong? Ping because pong. That's that... what it is. No, it's ping pong. That is that. Yeah. That is what it is. I don't need to practice to beat him, so I'm not really worried about it. <laughs> he. Oh, goo. <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I actually, Dana and I love trying to find the ping pong bar by the venue. And they're not always there, but we like ping pong. I was going to say, is that a thing? Are there ping pong uh, bars? Definitely. Really? Yep, you can find them. Did not, yep. did not know that. But, yes, you, you reminded me of, uh, of that question, so I had to bring that up. But before I, the other thing I was going to ask, and I'll let you go, <laughs> um, do you have any other creative outlets outside of music, or is, this, is that kind of like what you put all your creative energy towards, or do you have anything outside of music? I would say my creative outlets these days is definitely all music. For a while there, I was cross stitching, and actually that was really? really fun. Yeah, it was actually it was yeah I enjoyed it. I still have a bunch of stuff. My mom used to cross stitch. Uh, it's too small for her these days. She does some sewing right now. She'll make quilts, but she doesn't cross stitch anymore. But I always thought that's cool. I can make stuff that says weird things, but they're cross stitched, and so I would do that. Or actually on the tour i was on with movie life where i was opening for them playing solo i never had to drive so i would just sit in the van and i was making like piebald cross stitches so like it was a fun little art thing but music is that's the that's the thing that's, that's the, the thing for that's, you. that's that's the thing yeah that's my uh you know when you when you pick your creative marker out of the pack music is my <laughs> marker Nice, nice. Music music is your Sharpie. Yes, absolutely. Well, this has been rad. Um, Travis, do you want to tell people where they can find you online, where they can find the band online, like all that all that good stuff? I feel like the way I get my personal Piebald updates, because sometimes I don't even get them in real life, is <laughs> I go to our Instagram, and that's just Piebald. And then if you want to find me, I'm totally Travis. And <clears throat> I'm on there, too. I wouldn't go if you're trying to really connect with me in any sort of way. Don't go to my Facebook page because I never go there. Um, but yeah, pieball.com and then our Instagram. Beautiful, beautiful. People should go check that out. <laughs> if you're listening, if you're listening to this Friday night, we uh, we got like an hour and a half, so we're gonna play a bunch of music, and I think we're gonna play "We're the Only Friends We Have." I mean, I think I think we're just gonna play like the whole damn thing. If you're listening, I would really appreciate that. Happy we, birthday to We Are The Only Friends We Have. Okay, then if you're listening to radio show right now, we're just going to play the well, literally like the whole album front to back. We got time for it. If you're listening to the podcast, sorry, you're not getting that. I'm not <laughs> putting the whole album on the podcast. But we will play like a selection. We'll play like one or two songs. But if you are listening to this on the radio show, yes, once again, happy birthday. We Are The Only Friends We Have. And we're kicking it off right now with uh, King of the Road. Right here on the Power Chord Hour.
attached to my head We got on our bikes and rode My legs like jello and we rode that night
right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast. That was Travis Shettle's favorite song to play live off Where Are the Only Friends We Have. That was Karate Chops for Everyone But Us. Also might be the best song title on that record. Before that was Fear and Loathing on Cape Cod and opening up that block of music and opening up Where Are the Only Friends We Have is King of the Road. I want to thank Travis so much for uh, calling in and doing that. That was really, really fun. I mean, it's great on this podcast episode, but it was really fun last Friday night when this aired just a few nights ago. Uh, if you're listening to this when it came out, because uh, basically it was in, in, you know, we go eight to midnight. So it was like we got to talk to Travis and then I played, like I just said, at the end of that, I played the whole damn record. So, I mean, if you're listening to the radio show, you got to just hear that interview and then we played the whole thing front to back and uh, and then tons more. I mean, we had four hours, so lots of uh, lots of stuff, but it was a really fun way to celebrate, it, I thought, because it was, you know, just a few hours before midnight and kind of leading up to the uh you know, to the anniversary of both that. And then also uh, the Power Chord Hour turned six as well on Saturday. So it was very cool to have someone who, uh, I mean, I love Piebald so much. I, uh, they're such a great band. I can't believe I've never seen them live. Uh, I was saying this on the radio show. They, uh, when they got back together in 2016, I remember they were playing the East Coast, where I'm from, uh, while I was going cross country. I just graduated college and was like traveling in my car cross country. And like when they were on the East Coast, I was on the West Coast. And when they were on the West Coast, I was on the East Coast. Like it was was a lot of that. And it seems to have happened like every time they play that I'm like in another part of the country. Because I was really bummed. I remember they were playing the Grog Shop around here up in in Cleveland, uh, one of my favorite venues in Cleveland. And would have loved to see them there and uh, missed it. But, you know, they're not they're not going anywhere. I mean, I liked I liked hearing that in the interview, knowing that, uh, you know, they they it seems like they're going to stick around, you know, maybe for fun. Like if you're if you're hoping for like a piebald record every two years and them to do like big old full tours, like that's probably not going to happen. But I mean, I think I think it's safe to say that it's not like the world will never hear new piebald. I think we will eventually get some new piebald and, uh, you know playing shows and all that stuff. And of course we're going to get a new pie bald because we're going to get that Arbor Day record. I, uh, I'm going to make sure that happens. And you know, maybe, maybe you think it's, it's a, uh, selfless act to make sure that the fans get a pie bald Ar- Arbor Day record, but really it's very self-serving because that's going to make me, I mean, just a millionaire. I don't see how, I don't see how I don't become, uh, just, I mean, 30 under 30, I'm going to be, I'm going to be on 30 under 30 with this, uh, with this piebald Arbor Day record presented by Time Life. I mean, there's no way, there's no way that, uh, you know, it doesn't make me a filthy, filthy rich man. And, uh, then I will no longer have to do this here podcast. Not, not at all. I will, I will be, uh, (laughs) I, I will be, uh, swimming in money like, uh, Scrooge McDuck. And all that sweet, sweet piebald uh, money. But anyway, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself because Travis has not started writing that yet, or at least I know of. But uh, yeah, that was great talking to him. I love piebald so much. Got into them after they uh, broke up. But I do remember them. It's funny because they're one of those bands that I got into after they broke up. But like Fuse was such a big thing for me. Uh, the, you know, it was basically like, if you don't know what it is, like, like MTV, but in the early 2000s, they were playing like. A lot, and I think Fuse actually, I think Fuse still exists, but I almost think they're like reformatted. Like I don't know, I don't know if it's like pop music or what. I looked into this a while ago, and it, it looked like it was kind of like rebranded. Like it was still music, but like back in the day, it was kind of like pop punk emo alternative. Like you know, I mean, you can kind of imagine what was going on in the early two thousands, like that kind of stuff. Um, you know, like the first place I ever heard Fall Out Boy. Uh, probably the first place I ever heard like Hawthorne Heights and Armor for Sleep. Mill and Colin. I mean, even even on the punk side, first time I ever heard Mill and Colin, Bad Religion, 
I mean, like any any band that played Warp Tour, chances were I uh, I probably discovered on Fuse. But I do remember them from uh, back then. Like I like by the time we were the only friends we have, that's O two. So I mean, this was I think I got Fuse like O three O four was like my my prime uh, Fuse days. So this was this was the following album. It would have been on uh, All Eyes Are All Eyes All Ears All the Time. And uh, I definitely remember like a music video or two. Like, like I knew of them. I remember, you know, just one of those things where like you may not know them, but I remember like, you know, I knew what they looked like. I remember press shots and music videos and a couple songs and stuff. But uh, I didn't really get into them till later. And I mean, I, I truly think they're, if you look at a lot of albums that came out in 02, and there's a lot of records that I like, but I mean, truth be told, had I not gotten into them younger, I don't know that current day I would pick up some of the records that are turning 20 this year and fall in love. With Piebald, I think that record, it doesn't matter if you didn't hear it 20 years ago. You could hear it today and you could fall in love with that thing. I, I think that album and really just their catalog in general, honestly, including, including I mean, this and everything after the next two records, I think of all uh, aged entirely. Well. And I like the old stuff too, don't get me wrong, but I, I really think a lot of that like indie rock whatever you want to call it because i don't think piebald are very easy to like put a label on i i don't think they're one of those bands that kind of fall i know travis mentioned hot rod circuit in that interview and uh you know they're kind of another one where it's like i love them because when you look back at that era i mean yes there's characteristics to them and you get why they toured and played with a lot of bands that they did but like you know they didn't sound exactly like you know a lot of you know like they might be able to tour like like they're about to you know like Pieball's about to play like play with a newfound glory on that really stacked fest in um in uh Boston I believe it's at but like if you look on there I mean it's not weird like Pieball's toured with all those bands through the years but I think Pieball of everyone has like one of the most original sounds on that on that you know bill because yes there's things about them that will make you like that you know like if you like like newfound glory and the movie life and bayside and all those yes you'll like piebald but like piebald just you just can't pigeonhole them like you can some bands you know what i mean they're not they're not and it's not really pigeonholing like newfound glory but obviously pop punk i mean they are very much by all means and they'll tell you that a pop punk band i could not feel comfortable saying piebald was just a pop punk band or an emo band, or an indie rock band, you know, or, you know, even back in the day, a hardcore band, like, they've always, they always got something extra going on in there that uh, make them, I think it just makes them more special, it's one of those things that make albums age well, because if you don't, you kind of become a time capsule, and I don't think We're the Only Friends We Have sounds like everything that came out 20 years ago, you know, there's a lot of records you can listen to now and go, oh yeah, that definitely sounds like it was released in 02, and this record I mean, fuck, you could put this record out, I think, today, and it would it would sound, it would, like, you know, it would work so well with everything going on. Like, you would not be like, oh, this album's 20 years old. Like, it would just work. And it would still be original. You know, it would fit in, but it also wouldn't sound like everything else going on. You know, it would still have that piebald edge. And, I mean, Travis, a lot of, you know, all of them are great and great musicians and everything. And Travis, though, I think has such, I think, including when I first got into them, his, you know, his cadence, the way, the way he sings, his phrasing, his lyrics. I mean, those, you know, his lyrics are great and, uh, you know, has a certain way of writing. And again, a certain way of like singing where you just go, that's piebald. Like you can hear a piebald song, go, that's piebald. And a big part of it is Travis. So yeah, that was awesome. That was great talking to him. I also got to say he goes in the hall of fame with, uh, with, I believe, I remember Ben Jorgensen from armor for sleep. I want to say Victor DiLorenzo from Violent Femmes. He had a pretty clear uh, reception. But, like, as far as, like, really clear phone reception, uh, yeah, I got to throw Travis in the Hall of Fame there and probably, like, top three clearest uh, <laughs> clearest phone receptions 
of this show's existence. Because man, I've had I've had some that are rough, but this was not one of them. I mean, Travis had a very very clear phone, and he was just a blast to talk to. So uh, yeah, very very cool. I loved it. Couldn't have uh, asked for a better guest for the sixth anniversary of the show. And uh, yeah, if you want to check out that, if you want to check out the playlist, because we did play the all of We're the Only Friends We Have, and then I played, it's kind of a cool playlist, because we played that, and then I did like kind of a little mix of like Piebald's Greatest Hits, I kind of like threw something off uh, all the other records, and then at the end of the show, we did the uh, same playlist that I played on our first episode from back in uh, February 19th of 2016, I ended up playing the same uh the very same playlist from the first episode, so that's all on there. But uh, it is very piebald heavy. I mean, if you're listening to this, obviously you enjoy piebald. So I would very much go look. It is the latest uh, Spotify playlist, and it has all the stuff we played on the radio show on Friday night. But uh, yeah, that is going to be it for uh, for this episode of the Power Chord Hour podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. If you would follow us, that would be really really cool of you at Power Chord Hour. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, we're all those places. Go follow us. Subscribe to the YouTube page. Find all the podcasts there as well as uh, pre-podcast interviews. You can even find stuff from before the podcast existed because uh, this podcast is only two years old. But like I just said, the radio show just turned six. So we got lots of stuff on there. So go uh, subscribe and check out the YouTube page. Rate, review, subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. That really, really helps. Including if you could leave a review. That would be that would be cool. Again, just like, just like I said a second ago. No, I think I said it'd be rad. Listen, if you follow us on social media, that would be rad. But if you rate, review, and subscribe us on a, wherever you listen to podcasts, that would be cool. So, I mean, honestly, you could be rad or cool, but why not be both? Be rad and cool. I mean, if you can, why not? So go do all that. And uh, what else? Powercordhour at gmail.com if you want to hit me up for something. I know normally I say hit me up for like free pick, for uh, free stickers and stuff. But we're entirely out. I got to get some more made. So I really don't have anything free. I don't have free shit to give you. But uh, if you're looking to just come to talk to me without trying to get free shit out of me, like if you're not trying to get something out of me, I mean, by all means, hit me up. Powercordhour at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And uh, also, I mean, that radio show like I was just talking about, we have uh, we have our new time slot now of 8 to midnight. So if you ever need more Power Chord Hour, I am on the radio four hours every Friday night, 8 to midnight Eastern on 107.9 WRFA right here in Jamestown. But if you don't live in Jamestown, you can stream the station right on the uh, website. Just go to WRFALP.com and you'll see the big old listen button. You can click that and stream the station in real time. So uh, you can go listen to all the other rad shows, all the other rad and cool shows on the uh, station. You can also listen to mine 8 to midnight Friday nights. And uh, yeah, that is everything. Thank you so much, Travis, for uh, doing this one. And will it be next week? Who's our guest next week? Oh, no. I believe I believe next week is probably our, uh, if I'm looking at the, as I'm pulling up on my phone here, uh, none. Next week is a February rundown because it's the 28th. So uh, tune in for that. We will uh, do the February rundown. And then on the 7th, that that uh, uh, I will be, uh, my interview with John Jughead Pearson. I mean, the punk rock legends, Screeching Weasel, Even in Blackouts, The Mopes, his really, really good podcast, Jughead's Basement, which I've been listening to a lot. And I got to say, I, I really don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I don't know if that's surprising or not, but I, I'm, it's, I do one. I don't really feel like listening to a lot of them. So it has to be a good podcast to listen to it. But I listen to his a shit ton. And uh, that's also why I'm giving him some like, you know, little, little like plug here you should also go listen to Jughead's uh, basement podcast you should also go listen to two weeks uh two week notice uh Dana's podcast uh their Piebald's uh tour manager 
he's a really good dude, and I started uh, listening to that, and I really enjoyed it. I was listening to his interview with Chris Fafalius, a punchline, a band I love very much. So uh, that was pretty cool to check out. So, I mean, if you need some more podcasts, go uh, go check out Jughead's Basement and uh, Two Week Notice, both very, very good. And I got to tell you, I'm excited for you all to hear this Jughead interview. I mean, a legend by, I mean, really a legend. And we went down, like, we went down, at, like, routes that I don't think you would hear in a normal, like, like for the guy, you know what I mean? Like so many people know him as like the guitarist, you know, the original guitarist of Screeching Weasel and everything. But I mean, we get into like acting, improv, writing, like, I mean, just creative, like really more creativity in general. Like I think I would say we talk a lot more of just being creative and what that means and, you know, how, how it, what parts of your brain you use and all this different stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. We talk a lot about punk rock too. I mean, there's a lot of lookout records and, uh, you know, like that kind of stuff talk too. We talk a lot about Lookout and that era and Screeching Weasel and uh, all that good stuff. So don't worry. I mean, all the all the stuff you'd want to hear Jughead talk about. We also went a lot of cool places. So that won't be out for another two weeks. But I just wanted to tease that because uh, I know that one's done. That won't, I won't look like a liar because I know that will come out. It's not like I'm teasing an interview that isn't done. It is done and in the can and it's ready to go. So a couple weeks here, we'll put that out. But, uh, yeah, I've been really stoked. I got to say, this year, I mean, including since we were only still in February, I could not ask for better guests. I've had some of the raddest guests this year, I think, so far. I mean, of just, like, just people who have been in my record collection forever. Like, that's that's such a big thing to me. Like, I, mean, I don't give a shit about the size of, like, a band or who I interview. Like, I don't really care if they're, like, really, really popular or not. It's more of, like, oh, my God, I've been listening to this person for years and years and years. Or, like, I remember, you know, like, seeing them on Fuse and different things like that. It's like, that's all... All that stuff gets to me like when I'm like, oh, my God, I remember like, you know, watching you, you know, like your music videos at like 12 years old on my TV, that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I'm I, this is long winded. I just told you a second ago I was plugging all my shit and said we were done. And I guess I lied in a way. But, hey, whatever, it's the outro. If this was the intro, I would try to hurry up and get to the interview. But, I mean, that shit's done. So I, I guess if you're if you're sick of listening to me, you could just stop listening whenever. But, hey. I'll do that for you, actually. Don't listen to me. I'll do that for you because I am done. So for the Power Court Hour podcast, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thank you so much for listening.